Amen. Um, I think our youngest children are going to go if they haven't already. So that's our sparklers group just up here and our creche at the back uh, for little ones. So do please make use of that if your children are of the relevant ages. Um, You've been sitting down for a long time. Why don't we stand together? I know Fook's just prayed for me, but let's stand and let's ask God to help us this morning. Um, How many of you are excited to hear the testimonies that we've just heard? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? To hear God at work and... uh, Let's, let's give thanks and let's uh, honor God for what he's done in people's lives. Lord, we thank you that you have been at work. And we've heard stories, some of them going back to the, the 1980s and some of them from going back 22 years and others from last week or two weeks ago. And we thank you, Lord, that you are at work today in our lives and you have been at work in our lives. And we pray for ourselves today. Uh, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning and encourage us and challenge us where needed. But Lord, we want to hear from you. And so I pray that you'd speak uh, relevantly to each of our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Do take your seats again. And uh, thank you. Testimonies are are interesting. And I was intrigued to hear the stories that we had today because sometimes you just get the end of the story. You just get the, this is amazing, isn't it? And uh, Lizzie, interestingly as well, told two, uh, two stories about births, but in the middle of that was a story about death. And there's this, this kind of juxtaposition of, of a wonderful, incredible thanksgiving and also pain in the middle. And Andrew's sharing stories of um, thanksgiving, but also a journey of pain. And I'm pleased they did that because sometimes we just hear the end of the story. And you might be thinking, well, that's great for them. They've got the end of their story. But what about me? I'm, I'm not at that place. I'm somewhere here. And it doesn't feel quite like that. And, uh, and I want to pick up on that thought today. Um, and this sermon, this message has come out of one line in, in a Bible story. It's probably four or five words. Uh, of course, being a preacher, it's not going to take four or five words to tell you. Um, but it's a really simple story. And, and just as I was reading the other day, um, no, probably... Uh, probably six weeks ago, um, reading through the Bible and got to the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, and and one line just stood out to me. And and it was a simple story, um, and I'll get to that line later on, because I want to leave it till later to to share the the few words that I found that impacted me so much, because I think we need a bit of context for this. And and I hope it's not like a joke because I can't tell jokes. So if ever I try, I forget the punchline uh, and I'm not quite sure how it starts and the bit in the middle is a bit fuzzy. So I'm hoping it's not like that today because I do need to remember, it's not a punchline, but I need to remember the few words that, that were in the text. So uh, bear with me on that and hold, hold on because we're going to look at the book of Ruth. And if you've got a Bible... You might like to just find the book of Ruth. If you're on an app, just have a look at the index and have a look at where Ruth is positioned because I want us to get some context before we dive into this story. Ruth's an amazing woman. And you'll notice as you turn to your Bible, as you maybe look at the index or the contents page, that uh, Ruth, the story of Ruth is uh, in a particular place in the Bible. It's in the, the place between Judges and Samuel. You'll notice on your contents page or your index page that the book of Ruth is between Judges and Samuel. Stuart, you're saying, why are you pointing this out? Well, because it wasn't always that way. In the Hebrew arrangement of the text, 
um, the book of Ruth wasn't there and the story went from Judges to Samuel and Ruth was included at the end of the he- towards the end of the Hebrew Bible uh, amongst a set of books called the Writings. Books like Psalms and, and Proverbs and um, a particularly a set of books that were on scroll, called the scrolls that were read out during festivals. Uh, books like Song of Solomon, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes and Esther read out during festivals. Uh, and uh, Ruth was one of those. And, and it was only later on, um, just before a, a, a translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint was, was produced back in about 250 BC, that Ruth was moved, the story was moved to here. So it's the same story, but just relocated in a slightly different order in the Bible. And we have it here today in that order. Now, it's, it was put there on purpose because chronologically, that's kind of where it fits. Ruth, Ruth tells a story of something that's happening during the period of the judges. But if you take it back out of its context for a minute and just go from Judges to Samuel it's quite interesting just to see um, what's going on in that period and I think it helps us get a perspective on Ruth's story. Judges. That's what it would have looked like without those without Ruth there. Judges. It's an interesting book. Uh, I don't know if you've read Judges recently but it's a story of ups and downs in the nation of Israel's history. It's a story of the people of God after the stories of Exodus and Joshua, so they've, they've been slaves. They've, this is the Israelite people. They've, God's chosen them. They've been slaves. They've been released from Egypt. So that's the story of Exodus. They've arrived in the promised land. That's the story of Joshua. And they've begun taking the land, and that's the story we get. And they're settled in the land. And then we get to the stories of Judges. And what we read there is a group of people who, they're not yet an organized nation, like they become later on with a king and, and government in, in certain ways and, and taxation systems and all the rest of it and, and foreign powers coming and going to meet with the king. They're not at that stage yet, but they're a tribal group. They're groups of God's people, 12 tribes, and they're sort of roughly organized. And the central point is their worship of God. Um, but as with all of us, their worship of God is a little bit up and down. And so the life of the nation is a little bit up and down. And so from time to time, God has to send people to rescue them because they get themselves in a real mess. And that's the story of Judges in, in a nutshell. It's a story of the tribes living alongside each other, of battles and invasions and attacks. It's a story of God raising up judges, these heroes, people like Samson you'll have heard of, and all sorts of people through there. Deborah and Gideon and others are, are raised up through. And some of them just have a tiny part to play and others you get chapters on. But it's a tough, tough time. The end of Judges is not pretty. It's not good. Towards the end of Judges, we read this. Judges 19, verse 1. Now in those days, Israel had no king. And of course, it's written looking back from a time when they did have a king. uh, And getting to the point of having a king wasn't always a a pretty place and an easy transition. But this is... Yeah, I, can, I can almost feel the writer writing that as a, a little clue to say that the people are all over the place. There's no king and so they're up and down and they're all over the place and, and actually they're, they're struggling a little bit. And chapter 19 and 20 and uh, 21 tell, I think, what's probably one of the bleakest stories in the Bible. And some of you, when you've, when you've hearing testimonies, some of those moments, Andrew spoke with in a heartfelt way about the difficulty of their journey to get to the point they're at now. 
and of God's provision in that, but it was tough and God was providing. It wasn't easy and God was providing. It was tough and God was providing. And, and this story is it's one of those, that as you're reading through the Bible, you go, ah, oh, do you know, I just, it's just painful. Do you know the story I mean? Judges 19, this is, it's heading the Levite and his concubine. And basically the story goes that a man has a wife, concubine, who is unfaithful to him and leaves him and goes back to her hometown of Bethlehem. And he travels to go and get her back after a little while. And he goes to Bethlehem and persuades her after these several months to come back home. And eventually her father says, yeah, yeah, she can, she can come. And they, so they eventually they leave the family home and they, they set off from Bethlehem and go to another village to go and stay for the night. And the story goes that as they arrive in the marketplace, I mean, it's a brutal story. As they arrive in the marketplace, um, a man comes out and says, oh, come, 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 come. Don't, don't stay here. Come to my home. And effectively, it's like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that you read in Genesis. It's the same sort of thing again as the people of the town come out, the men of the town come out and they want to rape the man. And, and in the end, they end up raping, gang raping the concubine, this, this man's wife. And she dies. And he takes this man who's gone to collect his wife from Bethlehem, takes his wife home to his own house. And he chops her into 12 bits, the dead body into 12 bits, and sends, aren't you glad the kids are out? Sends the 12 bits to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, look what they've done. Look what they've done to her. And the story unfolds over these three chapters of the, the rest of the nation of Israel going to war against Benjamin, the tribe where this, this took place. And thousands and thousands of people get slaughtered. 40,000 Israelites get, die in the battle. 25,000 Benjamites die. And the story unfolds that Benjamin, there's just 600 men at this particular point in the tribe of Benjamin left. Uh, and there's a story unfolds about how they need to try and get wives for themselves, that their line may not be wiped out, and they can continue to have hope and continue to have a future. And you read at the end of Judges. Have I got the verse up there? Yeah, we read this. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans. That's where they've all been fighting and sorting this thing out each to his own inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. And your heart breaks as you read these words and you go, ah, oh, after all that Israel have known, after all that they've seen, after all that they've... How can God turn this one around? How can God do it? Because it's so bleak. How can God turn this situation around? It's just desperate. God, is there any way you can turn this situation around? And we start the book of Samuel. We're skipping out Ruth, of course. We start the book of Samuel and, and we read there, it, it, it starts with a personal story of a man called Elkanah. And he's got two wives, one called Hannah and one called Penina. 
And Penina has children, but Hannah had none. It's the story Lizzie was telling earlier. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? And this book of Samuel starts with this incredibly personal story. We've had a national tragedy at the end of Judges, and we start with a personal tragedy at the beginning of Samuel, and the story begins to unfold. And again, we're thinking, God, how can you make a way? And Hannah cries out in the temple, and she calls out to God, and eventually she becomes pregnant, and Samuel is her son. And Samuel grows up to be the, the priest, and eventually, and a prophet, and a kingmaker. And the book of Samuel goes on to tell the story of David. It goes on to tell the sto- story of, eventually, of David, but kind of, You have to get to him through Saul. It tells the story of Israel getting a king, Saul, and then eventually David. And 1 Samuel ends with the first king, Saul, having had the rise of David. And 2 Samuel then starts with David as king and goes on from there and ends at the end of his reign. So the books of Samuel 1 and 2 are basically just about Saul and David. And they're about the nation being established. They're about this brutal time becoming a time of hope and possibility where God is making a way for his people and he's providing for them through a very very difficult time a time of brokenness and pain and ends with God at work in quite powerful measure You'll know if you've still got your index in your Bible open or, you've, or you can flick through uh, that the next books are the book of Kings, one and two Kings, and you read more there about the nation dividing up again and going its own way, the northern tribes and the southern tribes and all of that that takes place uh, and going into captivity. You know as you flick through the rest of the, the Old Testament and you get the prophetic books, we've got prophets speaking into all this period of Kings and into this period where David and Saul are, are, are reigning and, and then subsequent kings too. And we know that then some of the prophets are speaking in a period of time called the exile when the nation is just destroyed and the people of Israel aren't even in their own land. They've gone away to another land. They've been taken captive and God's speaking there words of comfort, having spoken words of challenge to them. And then the people come back to their own land and we get the books of Nehemiah and Ezra. And then, again, we may not realize this because of the order of of our Bibles today, but one and two chronicles are written. And they're amongst the last books to to be written. And they're actually the last books in the Hebrew Bible. And you know, chronicles, if you're ever reading through your Bible, chronicles starts with a list of names, doesn't it? And you might go, as I've been tempted to do sometimes, Lord, why do I need to read these chapters? You ever done that on your Bible reading plan? Why? Lord, the descendants of Adam were Seth, Enosh, Kenan, and I won't go through them all. I want to tell you the reason why. I want to tell you the reason they were written. I want to tell you the reason they were written at the end of the line, where they were amongst the last books to be written and the last books in the Hebrew Bible. Because as they're writing a list of names of Adam and Seth and Enosh and Kenan and so on through, they're writing the story that God can make a way. 
that when it's bleak and when it's desperate and when the tribes are fighting and when there's awful things happening, God can make a way through all of that. Look what he did with Adam. Look what he did with Seth. Look what he did with Enosh. And as they're writing the names, every name tells a story and points to the one who can make a way. Every single name points. It's like a pinprick of lights that says, look, God can do it. Even when it looks bleak, even when it looks dark, even when it looks hopeless, God can make a way through the darkest of times. And that's why I believe it's written. And it's no great surprise that when we get to the Gospels, we start with Matthew's Gospel and it starts like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and Judah his brothers and so on. It's doing the same thing. We start the New Testament and we get this story unfolding of of God's work through the generations. And Chronicles points to David uh, largely. Matthew points to David first and then on to Jesus. David being this kind of pivotal point in the story. And uh, Matthew's gospel starts with this sense that God has a plan. He's got a plan that covers the whole of human history. And, and in that list, in Matthew's gospel, you'll read a list of men, a list of male names. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and so on. And, and you'll have noticed that there are five women included in that list. And they've all got interesting stories. We haven't got time to go into those. Tamar, who pretended to be a prostitute. Rahab, who was a prostitute and a foreigner. Ruth, that's our story. We're coming back to that. Who uh, was a foreigner. Uh, Ruth was included in the list. And, and each one of those people included in that list uh, stands out as being someone who tells God's story. Someone who tells the story that God can make a way. The verse in Matthew's Gospel. I don't know if I've got it. Yeah, there it is. That's the verse in Matthew's Gospel that talks about Ruth. It says this, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So we've got the book of Samuel, uh, which builds up to David. The book of 2 Samuel, which tells the story of David uh, and his reign. We've got Chronicles, which talks all about uh, kind of David's kingdom and what follows on from there. We've got Matthew's genealogy, which peaks at David and then goes on to Jesus for the bigger peak still. And we read these words that, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. We're going to read that this woman, Ruth, has a key part to play in the story of David. We're going to read that this this woman, uh, Ruth, who at times in her life it seemed pretty bleak, who wasn't an Israelite, who at times in her life was thinking, God, can you make a way? God's answer each time was yes, 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 yes. I can make a way for you. Ruth, I told you we'd get there. Ruth has inauspicious beginnings. Imagine the book of Judges and the brutal end and the book of Samuel and the painful start. Ruth starts with these words. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. It's not a good start, is it? You can smile, it does get better, honestly. It's okay, it's going to be all right. You're looking worried. Um, There was a famine in the land. And the story goes on to explain that um, there was a man called Elimelech who had a wife called Naomi and had two sons, Malon and Kilion. And they decided to go from their town of Bethlehem. Notice Bethlehem. Um, It's a place that we're familiar with from our Christmas stories. 
Um, notice Bethlehem. And notice earlier, you probably picked up on it, um, but the man's concubine, uh, where the one that was ended up getting chopped up into bits, was from Bethlehem. There's a theme running through here, a redemptive theme, how God can transform the history of a place and say, it doesn't matter what your location is, I can still make a way. It doesn't matter what your history is, I can still make a way. It doesn't matter what your journey has been or the places you've ended up or the backwaters you've been or what's happened where you are now, I can still make a way. Um, this, they, they're from Bethlehem and they decide to go to a place called Moab. Uh, this, this land of Moab adjoining Israel, uh, a disappointing place to go if you're an Israelite. A disappointing place to go if you... Uh, are a child of God because actually you're going to your enemy, you're going to people that don't really like you too much, you're going where it's difficult. And here's where I want to begin making this practical as we come in, because we need to apply this to our lives today. You see, it's just possible that like this family here, you're in a circumstance or I'm in a circumstance where we're saying, I'm somewhere and it's not of my choosing. They didn't choose to have a famine, but they ended up in a famine-filled land. Can you have a famine-filled land? Famine's the absence of something, isn't it? But there we go. Anyway, um, they're in a difficult place. They're in a land which is desperate and they've got no food. And they didn't choose that. It wasn't their manufacture. It wasn't their construction. They didn't make it that way. But it just may be possible that you're in a situation saying, I did not choose this. I want to say to you today, God can make a way. Just like he did for them, God can make a way even if you didn't choose. This family goes and becomes economic migrants, refugees, if you like, because they needed to eat and they chose Moab. And the story goes on that actually it didn't get much better for them immediately. It didn't get much better. Within those few verses, the first, we've not even got to verse five. Well, verse five is here. It says, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and the other named Ruth. And after they'd lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion, that's her sons, died. Also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Oh. And it's just possible in this bleak story that you're thinking, well, thanks, Stuart. I'm really glad you preached on this this morning. Um, but it's just possible that you're in a situation that is of your choosing, that you made some choices and you ended up in a situation that you didn't like. And you've gone, well, I'm, I made a choice out of something that was painful and I've ended up here and I don't particularly want to be here. But I suppose I chose it. And I want to say to you, God can make a way. And he will make a way. If it's your choice, God will make a way. He still can and still will make a way for you. Can he? Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. We read on in the story uh, that Ruth, that Naomi hears from Moab that God has begun providing food in Israel. And so she decides that she's going to go back to the land of her, her origins, go back home. And she has a conversation with her two daughters-in-law and says, look, I'm going to go. And she gives them the option of staying or going, but recommends that they stay where they are. Can God make a way? Yes, he can. And the conversation unfolds from there that with Naomi to Ruth, with Naomi saying, look, you need to go home. You need to go back to your people. I've got nothing to offer. I can't have any more sons that, that, that can get married to you. So you're just going to be lonely and, and it's going to be awful and it's going to be bad. And, and actually Naomi's carrying bitterness in her own heart. She's bitter about some of the things that have happened. And you might say, well, that's not a surprise, but 
we have to be really careful that we guard our hearts in difficult times. We're really careful that we choose to, to keep a good heart and to keep a good attitude at all times. And that's really hard to do sometimes. But the nature of our heart will determine the steps that we take. It will determine the decisions we make and the way we make them. And it will allow God to bless and provide or not as we set our heart right with him. Ruth, of course, decides to go with Naomi and she persists and says, no, I'm going to go. And she says this, this is Ruth to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth is making a decision at this moment to be faithful to Naomi even when her circumstances are shouting out that she needs to be quite selfish. Even when everything Naomi's saying is true, go back home, you've got much better prospects there. Ruth is saying, no, I want to be faithful to you and to the point that I'm going to abandon my own religion and I'm going to follow your God. I'm going to abandon my people and take on your people. I'm going to die in that land where you are going. We see here that decisions to choose faithfulness in key moments determines the outcome. Decisions to choose faithfulness are there other options determines the outcome of what happens next. We, as we read on this story, we, we know Ruth is going to become David's great-grandmother. We know that. We know that he's, she's got a key part in the story, but she doesn't know it right here. She doesn't know as she makes that choice that it's going to be okay. She doesn't know that God will make a way, but in her faithfulness, she's choosing to go with Naomi. And they arrive in Bethlehem. They arrive back at this place, this key place, and I'm jumping ahead in the story. They arrive back in Bethlehem, and it's interesting. It's the town Naomi's from, the town of David, known as the place that Jesus is born. And we see here that God can make a way in a bleak place. They arrive at a time of barley harvest. And as the story starts, Ruth says to Naomi, can I go and glean in the fields? Please, can I? Now, gleaning is where you go the harvesters are harvesting, not on a combine harvester, but they're by hand. And you're going along behind and you're picking up the bits that are left after they've all done their work. So uh, as a foreigner, as a poor person, you were allowed to go to the edges of the field where there were bits of crops left and pick up the scraps that were around the edges. And, and you were allowed to do that within God's law. God made provision for the poor that they could go and find food for themselves within other people's land because the farmers were told to leave bits uh, that would help others not to go not to farm right to the edge not to pick up all the grain but whatever fell was to be left and people could come along and pick it up so at this point we know the end of the story we know that it's going to be okay for Ruth we know that God's going to make a way but at this point she's going out to a field and she's picking up scraps of grain that other people have left so that she can put them in the basket and take them home now we know the end of the story we know that this is going to be the end of Ruth's story. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And this is Naomi's role as, as Ruth's family member. And it's obviously Ruth who's having the son. But this is the words about Naomi. And there's this, this sense of hope at the end, this sense of promise. We know that Ruth has, has been blessed and provided for. 
And we know that before this, she gets married to a man called Boaz. And we know that before that, Boaz rescues her and redeems her. He pays uh, for some land that means that he can then marry her. We know that before that, in the story, Boaz has been impressed with her. And he's been impressed as he's watched her gleaning the crops. as He's watched her gathering up the crops. And, but at this moment... As, as Ruth is there kneeling down, picking up the crops, she doesn't know that God can make a way. She doesn't know that she's going to get married to Boaz. She doesn't know she's going to have a child. She doesn't know her child's going to be in David's line. She doesn't know that her child's going to be in Jesus' line. She doesn't know that she's going to be recorded in the Gospel of Matthew and preached about thousands of years later. She doesn't know that she's picking up scraps in a field and yet God can still make a way. And he will still make a away I told you there was a verse that struck me as I was reading this story and I I said I'd get there in the end this was the verse so Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters and as it happened she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz the relative of her father-in-law Elimelech that's it today I'm preaching on and as it happened Four words, that just struck me. Because in the bleakness of Judges and the pain of Samuel's beginning that we don't quite get to yet, we've got this woman picking grain off a floor and she's traveled from Moab to a land she's never been to. She's desperate, she's hungry, she's got nothing. Her husband's died, her mother-in-law's bitter and they've arrived in Bethlehem and as it happened, she found herself in Boaz's field the man who was her kinsman redeemer the man who had become her husband the man who could the only one who could rescue her really as it happened God can and will make a way when you're not sure what's going on there'll be a moment there's a moment where there's an as it happened moment that that you're walking through a park and you're saying God who can I speak to today give me someone to speak to and there's another man telling a story about getting a bible And he's going to say, do you know what happened? I was sitting on a park bench the other day and a man walked in and he said, tell me your story. And I told him my story about how I was a taxi driver and wasn't anymore and how my life had fallen apart. And he said, can I give you a book? And I was given a book. And if you're listening on the the recording, this won't mean anything to you whatsoever. But earlier on, we had a testimony about this. And you get given a book and that man will be telling his story because of an as-it-happened moment, that moment when there was an intersection of his existence and God bringing somebody just at the right moment. As we look back in our lives, you know and I know that there have been moments where we could write, and as it happened, and as it happened, and as it happened, God stepped in and provided. And I want to prophesy over us today that there are as-it-happened moments coming for you as we get our hearts right as before God we don't carry bitterness we carry hope we carry confidence in the king and we say God I'm trusting you that you will make a way and there will be and as it happened moments let me wrap this up with a few thoughts how do we apply this number one start on track so just just start on track God is always good Always. If you've begun to believe that he's not, get off that track and go backwards and get to a point of going on a different track of beginning to believe that God is good. And he will make a way. 
for you. He made a way for all sorts of people through the Bible. And he will do it again. God is good. That's number one. We start on the right track. Number two, we keep our eye on our own heart. We don't get bitter. Naomi came back bitter from her time in Moab. Ruth came back faithful. Choose faithful rather than bitter if you have to make a choice. Number three, stay on track. Keep being faithful even when there's no benefit to be seen. Naomi uh, was blessed by having Ruth around. Ruth was faithful. She went out to glean in the fields. She didn't know what the benefit was going to be, but she kept doing the faithful small thing and trusting God. She determined to be faithful before she was fruitful, and that's important. Number four, don't despise the day of small things, or even if it feels like it, the day of no things. Even when there's nothing in the barn and no crops in the fields, then I will praise him because he's worthy. God doesn't need our success so that he can be glorified. He can be seen in our brokenness too. He can be seen. God will make a way. Sometimes he makes a way like Jesus on the cross. God made a way when there was no way for us to be set free and healed and forgiven. But it did take Jesus dying and having nail prints in his wrists and in his feet. But God made a way. But it was in brokenness. It was in being poured out that God was glorified. And finally, keep trusting. Keep trusting. God is faithful. He will make a way. My prayer for each of us will be that we would be faithful and that we would see those as it happened moments. Shall we pray? God, in this story of Ruth, which I realize we've told in a slightly unusual way today, it hinged not just on an and as it happened moment, but on a process of your work in people's lives and your work in Ruth's life as, as you orientated her towards faithfulness and she chose that. And God, I pray for each person in this room and for myself included that whatever our circumstances might be, that as we look at them today, may we look through them to see you. May we see you outworking your plan and your purpose because I thank you that we do follow you and you do know what you're doing and you do have a plan and you are working all things together for good for those who love you. And I thank you, Lord, that you will make a way. You will make a way to provide. You will make a way to rescue. You will make a way to be glorified through our lives as we live for you. And we want people to know about you. And so I pray, Lord, that whether we have seeming success or whether we have seeming failure, may you be glorified through all of it. May people see you in it. Lord, please keep our heart, help us keep our hearts right. Please, Lord, help us not to let bitterness take root. And where it has, Lord, I pray you'd show us gently or violently if you need to, but show us that it might not remain there, that our hearts might be open to you, that faith would take root, not bitterness, and that out of that would come faithfulness. God, we thank you that you can and you do and you will continue to make a way, and we bless you. Lord, I thank you that for many in this room, there's a day coming when we're here and as it happened. God turned it all around and we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, we continue with faithfulness to trust you, the one who makes a way.
Amen.